0: welcome to the mind virus podcast
1: did you get that yeah yeah you're you're scratching,
2: scratching the microphone the mic
1: just to see if it's on it's getting it okay good <laughs> How's it going um I'm all right. are we recording? We're recording okay, good. It's
3: Tuesday,
1: September sixth because we didn't record yesterday because it was labor Day, everyone's favorite Marxist holiday. now, I have problems with that because I like having a day off. I like the idea of having a holiday, yeah, who doesn't?
3: Karl Marx. I don't know. Um, Karl Marx, you know, he didn't work a day in his life. <laughs> his wife's family was wealthy and he uh, still managed to squander the, the resources that she had. And he lived in abject poverty,
0: usually mm-hmm. off the off of the uh, efforts and goodwill of other people. Interesting. I don't Maybe it is. Is it true? According to the
3: the book Naked Communist okay by uh which scousen wrote that Cleon he, he he goes into great detail on the life of Karl Marx
0: okay
1: Yeah uh <sighs> so you but anyone want to chime in and tell us what you think of Labor Day Well I I like Labor Day because it's in September
3: the early part of September, and that's usually a good time of year, which is this time of year. Although, um, well, for several reasons, some baser than others, Um, Labor Day usually kind of introduces the, reintroduces college football to the world. (laughs) College football season gets Mm -hmm. up and running on Labor Day weekend. NFL football, not far away. (laughs) hunting season some of the best mountain biking happens uh you know in the fall it's kind of the the, the beginning of the fall seasons and I, I like the fall i like the leaves changing even though i can't see them very well with my color blindness i think everyone else is colorblind they're just teasing me but
1: just a mass gaslighting but anyway um we had a few uh, comments on our last, yeah uh, i saw that episode we got uh TBM chimes in and says Jordan's version of the 1619 project colon The true founding of present America was wasn't 1776 but when Catherine Austin Fitz wrote her exposé on the vast fraud within the government and Wall Street <laughs> okay Well TBM you're not wrong <laughs> uh the present America is what he says the founding of the present America probably Probably accurate. It, 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 there are different cycles of pump and dump, which we've talked about. Uh, again, go back and listen to episode number eight, hidden picture, for more details on kind of the cycles that we've we've been going through these secret combination cycles. Some of the biggest events I think in American history were, of course, uh, seventeen seventy six, which is sort of the midpoint, because people don't realize that the pre convention america went on for a couple hundred years right you had columbus hits uh columbus gets over here in 1492 and a, a lot of people would argue for example uh this guy joseph p farrell who's, who's an oxford scholar that we pointed out last week who's written a lot about the templars and um some ancient works he's a patrist uh, he he got a doctorate in patristics i believe is how you say that he, which means he studied the early church fathers and hence he's a lot like you Nibley. he knows all the ancient languages and uh he this interesting thing about ferrell is he likes to speculate so that's where it gets into the ufo stuff but he's done a lot of research on the ties of the cia to the nazis and and all of that which we uh, talked about last week well anyway um if you uh go way back to Columbus, the, one of the ideas out there that's not talked about in mainstream schools is that Columbus coming to the new world wasn't a discovery. It was an announcement. It was like, hey, now we're ready to show you that this new world exists. And there's good evidence that, that, that many of the old seafaring cultures were already over here. The Norse, potentially the Templars. There's a tower in uh, Newport, Rhode Island, uh, called the Newport Tower, that a lot of people speculate was built by the Templars, or potentially um there are some that speculate John D had a hand in it, but that would have been post Columbus, but it appears to match with similar structures that are found in England in the late middle ages, I guess which would be the eleven hundreds twelve hundreds a d well anyway uh. Again, the idea is that Columbus came over to sort of open it up for business, open up the new world for business, which means you start openly getting a significant amount of European settlers coming over rather than just a few explorers or, or, or exploiters who had come, you know, Templars who'd come for whatever reasons they had or Norse or, uh, highly organized uh, wealthy trading groups that that knew about it as a secret what would you call it a resource area <laughs> a secret Hide continent out. that they the Atlantis secret hideout a hideout yeah a place to go if you if you needed to get away well that's what the Book of Mormon kind of talks about it in in those terms mm hmm well anyway uh, feral speculates that that's the case that columbus was just coming over to open it up so my point being that american history really at least modern american history kind of starts there because you have a lot of colonists coming over and and that's what created this separation from the english in on the coast of uh new england mostly where most of the population came into new england in the mid-atlantic those those coastal states that are were part of the thirteen colonies, and they, the the by 1776 there had been multiple generations. You know, think about that. How many gener? How many generations can you get in ninety years? Three, four. Is that kind of how we look at it? You get, you get a grandfather, and his son, and then his son. That's three generations. The Mm-hmm. The dad, the son, and the grandfather. Maybe, right. Maybe a great grandfather in there. So four generations. So, so if you go from 1776 back to 1676, back to 1576, you have the chance for a significant population with maybe five, six, seven, eight, nine generations of people that have been here, and that was the case by the time of the revolution. So we 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 always start looking at it in 1776, but I I think that leaves out a lot of the context, and then of course the big. Inflection points, punctuation marks in American history would be the war between the states in the 1860s, and then the next turning, which was around World War I, which was the Federal Reserve, and then the next turning, or, or you could argue it was World War II, right? Because that would be the 1940s. If, if you're going based on the fourth turning idea from Strauss and Howe, Then you need about 80 80 to 100 years, so you'd mark the next turning as World War II. But I think that the Federal Reserve banking system is a big inflection point. And then you get to World War II, and then you get to uh, the George Herbert Walker Bush administration, which uh, Catherine Fitz points out in a lot of her discourse that the powers that be, the financial powers that be started moving the money out of the United States in about 1996 to 98. And shortly thereafter, you get 9-11 and the the cycle that we're currently in. So yeah, TBM, good comment. I think you're, I definitely, I I might open up a, if I wrote a book on American history, it might actually open up with those the line that you just provided me. I'll plagiarize that line in the comments. <laughs> we had another comment. Uh, Pepe Le Pew chimes in finally again for after a long absence. He says, "I'm listening, still listening while at work." Thanks, Pepe. And feeding the hungry, who won our illustrious t-shirt competition. Right. This maybe, was, a, maybe, this was we, a t-shirt giveaway competition. There are other types of t-shirt competitions. This was a giveaway. Do we need to have another, another giveaway or something? Just to try to get more comments? I, I don't know. I, we got a lot of comments when we did that. We did.
3: But we kind of manipulated, not manipulated, but we, had, we said you have to get 20
1: comments for this to trigger. Yeah, that was pretty manipulative. Yeah. It was sort of a vanity 20 comments. <laughs> We purchased them at the price of a (laughs) t-shirt. It's expensive. Feeding the Hungry asks, if you leave the planet, do you come back for the paradisiacal glory or are you stuck in a different dimension? That's a really interesting question. So, Bobby, take it from here.
3: I didn't fully understand the first time I read the comment, but I've been a little cloudy the last few days or dusty. It's dusty out there. The people who are making it rain aren't making it rain. Not enough. Right. Not enough. Not on your schedule. Yeah. So uh, feeding the hungry is saying if you die or leave the planet somehow. Right. Do you come back during like the millennium period that we all always talk about?
1: Well, I think the idea is
0: that if this earth is going to be burned, Mm Mm-hmm then if you get away from it, do you get to escape the burning? Like in a ship? Like in The uh Like the on Expanse? The
3: Enterprise? Or the, yeah.
1: I haven't seen The Expanse. Do they get on a big ship? Yeah, the Mormons do. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you mentioned that before. Yeah. So the Mormons leave. Where do they go? Well, I don't want to give any away Zion? I don't want to give away
3: spoilers. New Jerusalem.
1: It sounds like a battle. Sh- Battlestar Galactica, where the everybody's named after these Israelites, right? And they're headed to uh, Earth, but what, what do they call it? They call it Zion that they're headed for in Battlestar Galactica. I can't remember. Uh, I don't remember. They Call it Zion in the Matrix series.
0: Yeah. Zion. Yeah.
3: Um, I don't. I don't want to give away anything in the Expanse. It's How not old is a. It? You can spoil it. It's current. Okay, never There's, mind. They're still making series, but the Mormon uh, angle isn't very. Uh, it's not a super uh, integral part of the story. There
1: none of the main characters are Mormons, right? But the Mormons have a big ship
3: with Moroni on the top of on it, on the
1: tip of it.
2: Yeah, at the good. front. Yeah, at the front, like a like a temple mm-hmm.
3: that just
1: launched. Yeah, and they're gonna. They're, the idea is all the Mormons are gonna leave. Maybe that's what the church is doing with all its money. 'Cause see they stopped giving us any transparency in the fifties. You think which they're was building way be- that was way before the government's the government was able to get rid of the transparency as effectively.
3: You think they're building a big spaceship and we're all gonna well, get on see,
1: it? See, Fitz and and Farrell speculate that all the missing money from the government is gone to the secret space program, so maybe the Mormons have a secret space program. And that the temples I mean the temples, I mean, if you look at it, it kinda looks like Last Starfighter type of <laughs> ship. Do you remember the last Starfighter? Yeah, I do. That's a blast from the past. It is.
3: Well, I, I don't know the answer to the to feeding the Hungry's question. I would think that you you can't escape. Like you, it's like trying to hide under your covers. Well, God can't see me now. He can see you.
1: She introduces the concept of different dimension. Which I think is interesting. If you stay in the third dimension, but leave the planet and go to a different planet, aren't you still in the same dimension? I don't know. I think so. Unless you shifted dimensions (laughs) somehow trans-dimensionally. That was the whole uh, premise of the movie Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, right? He finds the aliens and spoiler, they appear to be trans-dimensional. Do you think there are
0: different dimensions in that sense? Well, like if you look at the way Now I'm trying to think of who
1: I, I, I saw a video on a guy that was is a sort of an esotericist from the 60s, or 70s, 80s. What's his name? I forget. He, he did a <clears throat> like a sort of a public Video back before you way before YouTube. So it was more expensive where he was talking about dimensions and you start with a point, right? A one di- one dimensional object is a point in, in time space. Mm-hmm. And if you go two dimensions, you have a line, right? And three dimensions, you introduce,
0: uh, sort of the aspect of time, right? So you can get vertical, horizontal and diagonal? Di- di- is it the time
1: dimension? What, how does that work? X, <laughs> Y, and Z dimension? Maybe. I don't know. It is sort of mind-boggling when you start thinking about that. But if you think about it, if you lived in a two-dimensional world, consider yourself in a two-dimensional world. You're, you're in a flat... So your typical CNN viewer. <laughs> you're on a flat piece of paper, right? Mm-hmm. If something that has three dimensions, has height, width, and depth goes through your dimension, you only see two dimensions of it at a a time because this is where it gets really weird because I can't imagine somebody from the fourth dimension having something
0: more deep,
1: (laughs) more deep than the tangible three dimensions that we have, right? Maybe.
0: I like
3: the idea of timelines, different timelines. Yeah. I'm wondering
1: if... The, wh- like the, the uh, Spider-Verse? What do they call it? The, mul- the uh, multiverse? Yeah, kind of. I, I just wonder like... If you ever well, watch Doctor Strange, we'll be able to talk about this.
3: One of my... True. One of my... Because it's a multiverse the- of One madness. of my little theories is that 9-11. Okay. 9-11, 2001, right? The planes and the towers knocked us into a different timeline. Okay. And kind of introduced this
1: demise period, this controlled demolition period. You could write a book on that or do a movie. Could. Do a, a, a an animated graphic novel. I think of like a timeline, like a set of
3: rails, right? And there's different rails that run parallel to each other. And we got yeah. knocked into another
1: one. It sounds a lot like the multiverse. Yeah. Yeah. Probably is a lot like that. Well, I'm. You need to watch Doctor Strange. See, we, the need, ones, we totally, the we one, seriously need to go into Doctor Strange at some point. The
3: one problem with uh, like time travel movies is that they've always got an out, right? They can always just time travel to fix everything.
1: Explain this. Expand on your uh, well, it, it, your your theory here. If
3: there's a time, if there's a movie or a universe or something, a story
1: where you can time travel. Okay, the uh, I'm thinking of. Back to the
3: future. Okay, yeah, back to the
1: future, right? Yeah, but he, also Endgame talks about this. Remember the conversation in Endgame where they say the movies are all wrong. Right. You can't you can't change the past because that becomes that's your future. If you right. go back in time, that's your future.
2: <laughs>
3: Some of them do it better than others, right? It's hard to make a good time travel movie because you're gonna fall into the trap of just setting the date back to before the bad thing happened and then you go and prevent the bad thing or fix it and that's kind of a it's kind of cheap it's sort of like like we love Harry Potter right but Harry Potter is not a time travel movie but Harry Potter has magic and it's also really hard to do good stories with magic because it's so tempting to wave the wand and
1: fix everything well uh Harry Potter number 3 has time travel uh does it yeah Hermione time travels. They give her a little time travel oh, device they so have, that she can yeah, get to more that's classes.
3: Right. That's more of a time pauser or manipulator. But yeah, you're right.
1: You're right. No, but they fixed and they do they fix, fix things some with stuff it. with it. Like you're suggesting that we're not supposed to be able well, to do. It's not that they shouldn't be able to do it. It just
3: has to be done in a way that 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 makes sense. I guess. It's what I'm saying is it's too easy. Those tropes, those things like magic and time travel, if they're not used in a creative way, it's just like it's cheap. They're MacGuffins almost like, well, we just time traveled and now everything's, everything's better.
1: Everything's back to normal. Well, I would say that in <clears throat> Marty McFly going back to 1955, that wasn't easy. I mean, that was, I was no, tough. Back to the future does it right. Yeah. He had to get up to 88. Well, and there's conditions, right? His, his time is
3: limited. right, the pictures are fading.
1: 1.21 gigawatts?
3: And there's consequences. How could
1: I be so stupid?
3: There's consequences, and there's a system of rules that
1: he has to play by, right? He can't... Who's the president in 1985? (laughs) Ronald Reagan, the actor? (laughs) Who's the vice president? Jerry Lewis? Sorry, okay, he's got (laughs) rules to play by.
3: And that's where, like, magic systems... this This is not my thought. This is Brandon Sanderson lays out. He has the Sanderson rules for magic, and I can't remember all of them, but I remember part of it is that magic should have to have a resource, like um, something that is finite. Uh, Mana? Yeah, like mana in a video game, right? Or um, energy, some sort of energy, or source.
1: So the problem with Star Wars with Rey was it broke the Brandon Sanderson rules. Well, Star Wars with Rey broke
3: all the rules. It's it's not even a story. It's just this. It's just this glimpse into the perfect life of Ray
1: Skywalker slash Palpatine. Ga- Goddess Ray in her imaginary right fantasy world. An imaginary fantasy world, <laughs> right? So,
3: um, Back to the Future. The time travel there has rules, right? He's time. He's limited by time, which is interesting. And plutonium. Energy, that's a source for the travel. He's also got to time things right with the lightning storms. And if I remember right, he can't see himself, right? He, he can't, in the, in the timeline, at some point, isn't there two of him? And he also can't interact with his...
1: Well, he can, but he's not supposed to let himself see himself. <laughs> right. So, and they, and they make it very, they construct the story such that he almost runs into himself, but he doesn't. Right. And he also sees himself up on the stage playing at
3: the
0: right. end.
1: And then and then, if I
3: remember right, he's got to act morally. He can't use it to his benefit the way like Biff gets the Almanac, right? and creates well, Biff a, is a,
1: yeah, creates another time
3: rail. Right. creates a d- dark dystopian timeline that could happen if Marty doesn't succeed. And these, you know, we're kind of talking about all, you know, the first two movies anyway. Kind of interchanging the events of those movies. Well, there were three. There were three, but the third one was off on its own in the Wild West. Well,
1: it does end. Spoiler alert, Marty makes it home to 1985. <laughs> right. And everything's fine.
3: Just finishing up the second coat now, Mr. McFly. <laughs> now, Biff. That's all
1: right. The first coat. <laughs> right. But in the first movie, he does affect his
0: future. He does. Yeah, in, so, in, a,
1: in sort of a, a way that Biff would have liked to have affected his life,
0: you know? Right. But he does it by accident because he gives his dad confidence. Right. So, anyway, space, time... All those things, it get pretty uh, interesting, and it,
3: that's why so much of sci-fi and, and and fantasy and stuff is based on that stuff. really glad
1: Feeding the Hungry gave us this comment to talk about, because otherwise we'd be talking about Hitler-Biden, the Biden-Hitler speech speaking or of something dark, like
3: that. Speaking of a dark ty- dystopian timeline.
1: Yeah.
3: Should we talk about that No, speech? we shouldn't. We should mention it. We should mention that it's clearly evil. Well, just the imagery. He had red lighting. The military behind him and he called basically everybody that doesn't agree with him evil evil extremists and it's uh remarkable like uh, you know sometimes i just sit back and say what a time to be
1: alive so your your supposition was that 9-11 the events of 9-11 bumped us off of the rail we were on into a different timeline now how can how does that work i mean why didn't did World War II jar us? Because that was even bigger. Maybe. Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that bumped us out because we lit off some nukes. What, what's what's it your... It might have. The way, the what, that... How does this follow the Brandon Sanderson rules of magic? I mean, how... <laughs> let me look up Brandon Sanderson... Rationalize this because I want to understand how you got to that point that 9-11 was the thing that did it. All right. Well, let me look up the Brandon
3: Sanderson... Rules for magic. Okay,
1: let's all think while he's looking that up. Let's just think and by the for by the way,
3: like, um, he talks about this and how he presented it at a like a panel
1: of was different point, authors. Was his point that if you're going to write about this stuff, if you're going to create creative works in in the fantasy world, if you don't have rules, then your your <coughs> story sucks. No, not at all. Not because that all. would be a good point. His 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 reasoning. Well, let's just let's see here. Are there does d- does he find that? The guys like J.R. Tolkien follow the rules for magic, like Gandalf has to. Let, let me see here.
3: He says, I like magic systems. That's probably evident to those of you who have read my work. And he really does. His magic, the magic in his books is, can get pretty complicated. It's kind of cool, though. I like it. Anyway, this is back to him. He says, a solid, interesting, and innovative system of magic in a book is something that really appeals to me. True, characters are what make a story narratively powerful, but magic is a large part of what makes the fantasy genre distinctive. He says, for a while now, I've been working on various theories regarding magic systems. There's a lot to consider here. And now he goes on. So here, here are the first, the first law. Sanderson's first law of magics, an author's ability to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic. The second law, Sanderson's second law can be written very simply. It goes like this, limitations are greater than powers, or if you want to write it in a clever electrical notation, you could say it this way, and then there's symbols that I'd... (laughs) I don't understand. Um, The third law. The third law is as follows. Expand what you already have before you add something new. And those are the three
0: laws of Sanderson magic. But the first one, um, I think, is the core
3: of it, right? First law of magic, an author's ability to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic. So take Harry Potter for a minute. Harry Potter's magic is based on, one, you have to be a wizard. You're a wizard, Harry. Two, you have to just know the spell, right? You just have to have a wand and have the incantation and say it correctly. There's no, no one really knows where that power comes from.
1: Or does it come from the wizard or the witch? I I mean, I don't
3: know. There's no source for it. It's it's hereditary.
1: Yeah. But don't they imply through the entire system, the way she sets it up, that it has to do with intelligence and study and experience, kind of like faith? Maybe, but you got... It's just like you're either born with it or you're not. Well yeah, but you have to go to school if you can't
3: but some, you
2: go, some some
1: right beings, it sounds a lot like Abraham chapter three where the Lord shows Abraham the intelligences and the planets and all this stuff and he says some are better than others some have more light than others yeah some And so the kids go to school and they they all learn they, they go they get into the system of progression and they learn. Yeah, I agree. But then some of them happen to be better than others. But they're learning, what are they learning at school? It's a lot of
3: memorization, right? A lot of formulas.
1: I don't think so. I think when um, when Harry does the Half-Blood Prince book, right? It's the, the sixth book. He, he finds, he's in potions. And it turns out that, I believe that it's in the sixth book that Snape is the professor of, of The Dark Arts, Defense Against the Dark Arts, and Slughorn is now. If I'm remembering right, okay, I know there are people out there that can correct me on the Harry Potter thing. We got (laughs) to we got to brush up to do the Harry Potter stuff. But I believe that it's Slughorn that's the potions master, and Harry finds he he doesn't have his book, so he gets one out of the uh the teacher's closet or whatever, and it turns out it's. Snape's potions book Mm -hmm. and it's full of notes, experiential notes that made Snape an excellent potion master. As he refines, he turns potions from a science into an art. Sure. Isn't that, you know, it's things like don't, don't slice open this thing, crush it and squeeze it to get the juice out of it. Or there's all, there's all these artful, uh, fixes. So, I mean, I would say right, at the start at the start, Harry Potter's the, the rules for Magic in Harry Potter are very basic to start with, but I, I believe that she rolling and or whoever's writing this with her <laughs> I don't know who the <laughs> muses they 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 make this really, really interesting, very, very lifelike in a way, as an allegory in in that it, it come it comes alive. It's not a it's not just simply knowing the spell and being a wizard. It's that you have not only in, innate power in who you are, but you have your your uh, desire factors into it. How much time and effort you put into it factors into it, which is the Hermione aspect. She's she's got this thirst for knowledge, and she knows everything, and therefore she's the brightest witch of her age, as uh, multiple wizards t- tell so tell I, tell her. And then then you have also the experience that factors into it. So I think. I think Harry Potter fits within Sanderson's first
3: law. Remember, the, the author's ability to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional, and he has directly proportional, all in caps, to how well the reader understands said magic. So I think the readers of Harry Potter understand that magic system.
1: See, I think that his, his uh, first rule is very, very subjective. The way he, the, the, he puts that, he involves the, the reader's comprehension in well,
0: he's the putting, author's
1: he's the putting, author's ability to solve a conflict he's because the author, that, the author could just make an edict and say, "Oh, problem solved," and that d- doesn't require the reader's comprehension. So what he's really right. saying is, but that how, wouldn't be how, fulfilling for the reader. Right, that what he's saying is not is not the uh, it's not about the author's ability. It's the, how successful the author will be, or how successful successfully his story will be received, is directly proportionate. Right? It's it's The, uh, the he's success the, and the engagement is directly proportionate to how well the reader understands it.
3: But he's putting the onus on the author to create a system that the reader can understand. So then when Harry... And I think J.K. Rowling does a good job of this as the series progresses, because we, all, uh, we go into the final battle, the final resolution, understanding how the horcruxes work, which is a magical system. See where it gets bad is like okay out of nowhere Harry let's say Harry just out of nowhere you know was secretly discovering these horcruxes and never told anybody including the audience and then he comes in at the last minute and he's like I've destroyed all of them and he's now vulnerable and everyone would have been WT like, wait wait a minute you know and and it's like or it's sort of like the the Deus Ex Machina where God, the deliverer, God, the machine just comes and saves someone at the last minute. Audiences will accept that when we are sort of prepped for it. But if there was a movie like, I don't know, pick a, pick a random, I don't know, some rom-com, ra- you know, romantic comedy that doesn't have magic in it. Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the last ones. <laughs> and suddenly, I don't, I, I don't know, I can't even think of a, a romantic comedy right now. I haven't seen one in years. Uh, you've Got Mail. Okay. Do you, I don't even remember that. You, you've you Got
1: Mail suddenly
3: at the end. Is or that Princess the Bride.
1: Princess Bride. Do you consider Princess Bride a romantic comedy? Absolutely. Okay.
3: But You've Got Mail, is, is that the one with Tom Hanks and Meg, Meg Ryan. Ryan? Wasn't there about 10 rom-coms with t- Tom Hanks and Ryan, Meg Ryan there for a little while? Maybe 20. I don't know. But let's say in You've Got Mail, right? What were the other ones? At the end... Didn't they do Sleepless in Seattle together? Let's say right at the end... There you go. There's another one. Instead of however the conflict is resolved, I don't even remember, Tom Hanks pulls out a wand and casts a love potion, on a love spell on Meg Ryan. Everyone well, would, that have would been be like, interesting. But everyone would have been like, wait, what?
1: Because yeah, it's if not you came in the from universe. A different, yeah, if you came from a different culture where <laughs> that's how men got their women was casting a spell on them.
3: Well, sure, but it would have to make... It had to be baked into the context, the, the, the lead up. It would have made perfect sense if we know, the audience knows going into the story that Tom Hanks' character and You Got Mail is actually a magician.
1: And then he's going to do that eventually. But he's not. At the right time. Right?
3: That's what we're getting at. So you, you, you can't just use ma- magic to bail your characters out of a bad Which I think is what you were saying about
1: time travel early on was that the problem is a lot of times they just solve problems by... Time travel.
3: Right, and that's just a symptom of bad storytelling. Well, I've written my character into a pickle and I'm not creative enough to get him out of it, so I will just time travel back 30 minutes and he'll choose the different door. You know, let's say, you know, Indiana give, Jones. Give me an example. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. He's going through the gauntlet, right? Mm-hmm.
1: And he falls off.
3: And he gets up there and, and the big... Culminating scene Where he steps into the void Right And the invisible bridge Is there
1: Only in the leap From the lion's head Shall he prove his worth
3: So he steps in and, But he doesn't have Sufficient faith So he falls To his death And then
1: Sean Connery runs
3: up Oh my dear boy We have to try it again And he dials a knob And <laughs> And He comes back Okay
1: but give, give an example That's an, It's unusual to see somebody Make that Uh Distinctive of a, of a ninety degree turn in the plot. So, give an example of a movie where you were disappointed with how they I- incorporated ma- either, either magic or time travel.
3: I, I man, you put me on the spot here.
1: I know. Well,
3: I, I, <laughs> I hate to keep picking on the Ray series,
0: but <laughs> the Jedi <laughs> arts are a, bit
3: a form of magic. That's a magic system. But Ray just knows it all. Right. And we've talked about this before.
1: Yeah. Okay. Give me an example, not Ray. Because we all right. know that Star Wars effed it up. Can I say that on this program and still not have the explicit? Probably. Yeah. Get away with that. Because, I mean, I, that's the strongest language you'll, you'll hear on the program because this is a family show. <laughs> but, I mean, that is the technical explanation of what happened with the last few Star Wars, what I just said. I'm not going to repeat myself because I was right. pretty vulgar, but that's what happened, guys. I'm trying to think here, and I'm I'm coming
3: up blank. I'm sure if if I if I sat down for a minute, I think that the problem is that the last
1: few Star Wars were so bad that they outweigh thinking.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of another one though, non-Star Wars.
1: I was kind of disappointed I know, that's what in I'm the saying. Magic you can't because we mentioned Star Wars. That's true. It Just it's b- wipes your brain. You wipe- your brain is dead now. Mine too. <clears throat> podcast over. Okay, well anyway, <laughs> find us on the sh- web at mindvirus.show.
3: I think where you where you see it a lot is like in action movies where they don't explicitly have a magic system, right? But they have a hero. For example, I watched I recently watched wasn't by choice, but the the latest Jurassic Park. Um you were forced to watch it? Were you
1: chained? I to, wasn't forced. Were you chained in a cave to it, a wall? It was
3: on at the family activity I was at, and I was too lazy to go do something move else. move your head? <laughs> 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 but Chris Pratt's in that movie, right? And he just
1: sort of... Yeah, it was kind of bad. I, I, I remember watching that while browsing the internet. Well, I it, think I started watching he, it and then started browsing the uh, internet because uh, it was kind of...
3: Again, and I think we can. I'm going to expand on on the on the Sanderson laws of magic and say that these are the Bobby Flood amendments. <laughs> say that the Bobby Flood amendments. Magic to the systems. Magic. magic systems don't just have to be spells or some supernatural ability type thing. They can be something like Chris Pratt, the Raptor Whisperer, who just holds his hand out. We started making fun of it at Monkstar our family where he just can hold his hand out and and control the raptors and you know that that's a system of magic but there's times there's like where he can just he just does things and i know that there's context there's a whole movie about him doing that one of the previous ones what holding out his hand like training the raptors but yeah there's a little bit of backstory there but it's just there's one scene in this last one where he comes out and he like strangles one of the poison goo spitting dinosaurs he just like bare oh, oh, the one it. with the big like yeah the fan
1: uh, fan that, yeah fan that's a good way to describe he
3: it. like barehand destroys Ch- chokes it its,
1: chokes its uh, throws venom it and then he just gland. goes
3: like puts his hands out and he's like now get and all the rest just run away i'm like wait what just happened he just says that's all that was the key the whole time get all all the guys in the original jurassic park had to do was just say go on now get so I, I don't think, I don't think they meet the criteria of brand of Sanderson's first law, because our understanding of how he does these things doesn't. We don't know. It's just like, well, he just does it. He's just cool.
1: He's I mean, just more bad. A yeah, he's just cool. He,
0: he's the raptor trainer.
1: And because everybody else is running like they're well, they're rightfully afraid for their lives because, granted, lots of them get eaten. Right. When you stand up to the
0: dinosaurs, that makes them scared of you. Like other animals. Right. Right. You know, Jurassic Park is... Uh, but a- nobody thought of that until Chris Pratt tried it. Jurassic... Dr- Jurassic Park is,
3: I, I think, overall a fun series. There's a lot well, of. Well, there's Jurassic
1: Park and there's Jurassic World.
3: There's the movies in the middle I didn't watch, right? The original movie was groundbreaking. Um, I remember watching a the theater and just thinking.
1: Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. Like
3: the, that. That was, I think, a watershed moment, a turning point for talking about turning points here for m- uh, movie magic, for CGI and and it still holds up. I think it was 1993. It still holds up. Um, you go watch oh, the original. Yeah. It still holds up. Like the the effects. And plus it was a great thriller, right? It's dinosaurs and it's kids and it's science and it's mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum. Well, just because you can doesn't mean you should. I mean, you should. <laughs> <laughs> And he's, uh, I think in real life, he's become the characters he play. He's, this, he's, <laughs> he's very, a conglomeration of all of kind them. kind of an interesting, strange person. But, um, of course, this last one, I don't even remember what the title of it is, but it's sort of like it brings it all back together. There's lots of nostalgia. You got yeah, he, Sam, what's his name? You got the, the blonde actress. You got Sam? Jeff Goldblum. Sam. Witwicky? Sam is the name, his real life name, the actor. Sam, he's the Australian actor. He's been in a million things. Oh, the old guy, he's great. Yeah, I he's did. in uh,
1: Ragnarok at the end,
3: and he uh, he's in Hunt for the Wilder People, which I've recommended on this show before, I believe. Uh, anyway, I I should look
1: up it up, but I, I'm not going to. The audience is out there yelling. His name is Sam. <laughs> Well, we're just, we're talking. We're not spending much time looking stuff up on the internet here. I guess I could load up IMDb. While he's doing
3: that, leave a comment. Um, come to our website and talk about what are your rules
0: for magic. Sam Neill. Sam Neal. That was on the right track. I like him. I think he's a good actor. He's uh, British, right? I think he's Australian.
1: Same thing. Well, well we the Australians is entirely popular,
0: populated uh, by criminals.
3: Australian yeah. is just a different word for British criminal.
1: <laughs> Sam Neill was born in Omaga, Omag, Co, Tyrone, Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland to army parents.
3: Hmm. So he's
1: Irish. English-born mother, Priscilla Beatrice, and New Zealand- born father, Dermot Neal. Okay. His family moved to the South Island of New Zealand in 1954. So So he lived in the area, it says he went, attended universities at Canterbury and Victoria. In Australia? I assume Canterbury and Victoria
3: are in Australia. The South Island of New Zealand is spectacular, by the way. That's where a lot of Lord of, Ring, Lord of the Rings was filmed. And you can go to the South Island and you can go to Queenstown and you can go on a Lord of the Rings location did tour. Did you go? I did not do that tour, but I've been there and I saw some of the locations. What
1: were you doing in New Zealand? Is that too much information? It was
3: a too work, personal working vacation.
1: A workation?
3: I was helping facilitate others' vacation. Really,
2: (laughs) part of like an interesting story. Part of
3: my former life, I would accompany others on their vacations that they could. Anyway, they could vacate. I was uh, uh, photographing and videoing and showing the good times.
1: Really? So you're like documenting rich people's vacations? Hey, that's one way to put it. I didn't know that was a thing for the for the company that I worked for. But oh, okay.
3: But the uh, the. There's a mountain range right there in Queenstown, and they're named perfectly. they're called the Remarkables hmm. and they are remarkable and uh there's a, the ones
1: they always fly over in Lord of the Rings.
3: Yeah, and there's a skyline right above Queenstown that was actually the skyline they used for uh like the border of Mordor Mordor and um yeah, those big jagged, snowy-covered mountains that uh, the hobbits and the, the the Fellowship of the Ring hike through and stuff
1: was—that's well, cool. Kind of looks a little bit like the Sawtooth Mountains up in Idaho. Yeah. by the way, we have mountains over here. <clears throat> if you're interested, we do, do. We do have mountains. Okay. Um, well, you got one amendment. One amendment out on the rules of magic. I'm. It, it, yeah, my I,
3: amendment is that magic systems aren't limited to traditional like spells or supernatural just any any hero's ability you know their their special ability (laughs) so to speak and so that could be i should i should add that that could be that could be uh anything depending on the movie right even non-magic movies like i said like chris pratt's ability to so the
1: amendment wave his hand the full text of the amendment The full text of the amendment is, applies to non-magical systems, comma, applies to any hero's ability. Example, Chris Pratt, Jurassic World Dominion.
3: Because I think if you strip the magic out of the Sanderson Law, it's, it's the author's ability to resolve conflict is directly proportional to the reader's understanding of how that conflict is solved.
1: So where Jurassic World Dominion falls down is that they it was required reading to watch the uh prior one where he practices putting his hand out. Yeah, which I hadn't seen. And where clearly Rey of Star Wars falls down is that she doesn't have to do jack squat to become master Jedi.
3: Yeah, she's just already awesome.
1: She just thinks. She just <laughs>
3: It's like, just, oh, oh I'm, we're in a pickle. We need a ship to get off this, I, this uh, desert planet. I know
1: how to fly ships. Oh, you know what? We're in a, I'm in a pickle. I'm trapped by Kylo Ren, the, the most powerful, dangerous, scary force in the cosmos right now. And I'll just use the force to just get out. I,
3: I'll fight him in a lightsaber battle, a no, complex no. Wep, hand-to-hand weapon that I have zero training in, and I will match him blow for right. blow and no, even
1: defeat him. No need for Luke Skywalker or Han Solo to come in with their dashing good looks and boyish charm and trite catchphrases. Right.
3: <laughs> That's one of the, the old-time criticisms of, Spider- of Superman, right, is that he was just too awesome. Well, it is a good point. Like Superman, he he did he did have a weakness, right? But he could just do everything. Oh, we need a guy to shoot lasers out of his eyes. Well, I think okay. that's why Superman they can have,
1: now do that. They had to have the Christopher Reeve guy loses his powers in the second one, right? I mean that it wasn't an interesting story. Yeah. And the the Man of Steel when they rebooted it with what's the guy's name Harry. Cavill
2: mm-hmm.
0: Henry Henry he he's the guy that plays in the Witcher that's really an interesting show we've talked about that before uh-huh.
1: they they did a really good job for half of the movie doing character development but have then we,
3: have we talked about the, the Witcher
1: I think we mentioned it once okay the Witcher not for uh children by the way right Uh this is a Netflix series is that right mm-hmm yeah. Kind of, it's it's an exciting show but uh Yeah, it's uh right on par with some of the more edgy stuff that you see on TV these days. It's based
3: on a series of books by a uh Hungarian, Slovakian
1: author. Did you did you ever see the series The Boys on Amazon Prime? I've heard of it. I've not seen er it. Okay, let's erase that. Edit that out of the conversation. That's even, that takes the Witcher craziness to a whole nother level. I've heard that. Yeah. But I interrupted you. So the Man of Steel. Oh, I just thought that was a good movie when it started off as a good movie because they were doing all this character development about Superman. And then Zod comes down with his army and then it's just, they throw trains at each other for the next 45 minutes. (laughs) They start by throwing trains and then they move to like throwing bigger trains and then even bigger trains until they throw the biggest trains that you could even conceive at each other and that's it. Well, the pinnacle of the
3: superhero's ability is how far can he throw throw a train? train. There's an old saying. It says, I trust you about as far as I can throw a train by its smoke.
1: Really? The only way, the only... I don't even know if I should say this on the program, Brit. but um, that movie I thought was like one big premature. He's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, guys, <laughs> you have a really good thing going here. Take your time with it. Well,
3: there's it. a reason we love backstories, right? There's a reason why
1: origin stories are interesting to us because well,
3: we want to know where these people come from. Some How did TV they get there?
1: Series, some of these TV series take multiple seasons to just give you the backstory, you know? Right. And those are the best ones, I guess. I think we like,
3: to, we like to know where these heroes come from and how they got there. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of narrative storytelling is who are you, how did you get here, and
1: wh- where are you going now? Well, you need to go on the journey. The problem with Ray is there's no journey. Not just Ray; Like, there's no real journey for
3: any of those characters. In the Star Wars? Yeah, in that series. Yeah, well everybody.
1: I know, but it's too easy to just beat on that I bet, series. I didn't I didn't want to talk about it though. I mean, like if we were gonna pick stories to talk about, would we pick that? No. No, we'd pick better stories, right?
3: Well, like Harry Potter, which we keep promising, but the, the the great thing about Harry Potter is every character in the story, every kind of main character has a journey and has progression and they you you she has great villains because you, you sympathize with the villains or at least understand them, even though at times it's kind of black hat, mustache, twirling uh,
1: at times, right? I think, it's, but, I think it's excellent. Harry Potter is the <clears throat> pinnacle of the last age, in my opinion. And then to open the new age, we get the inversion of the Avengers, which seems to have kicked off all kinds of stupidity, stupidity. Well, I, I didn't <laughs> pronounce that right. <like. laughs>
3: stupidity. It's stupidity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is.
3: I, I think you need to,
1: have you read any Sanderson? No, I don't have a lot of time. I get a lot of assignments. How, how much, what, what kind of a commitment, what kind of a time commitment are we looking at with Brandon Sanderson a- stuff? Absolute. This is like joining a, a new religion, a cult. His, uh, he
3: has so many books. He is so prolific. It's quite uh Could you get him to impressive. summarize these into like a pamphlet for me? No. Okay. But if you were going to read any Sanderson, I would say start with the Stormlight Archive. That's his big magnum opus. But each of those books is enormous. I mean, the audio books are
1: 50 hours each. This is, a, this is like a... Join, but, joining a new and he has a different religion. style. Like he marrying loves marrying into a family, yeah. marrying marrying into the family of it, it, uh, the Greek. What's it, a, a big fat Greek wedding? He, yeah, this is marrying into a Greek family, isn't it?
3: Yeah, he loves world building, and he takes seriously these magic systems, and so he explains them into in great detail. You know, I, there's one magic system in a in a book series he has called Mistborn, where the magic is based on metals, and you're these people's
1: ability to kind of manipulate metal. Like in Korra, the last airbender. I don't know. Which is not, he can, it's not the last airbender. These guys can, Avatar Korra. These guys can
3: like send metal coins out away from them like a projectile, but then they can push themselves away from that so they can manipulate it. So they're flying, basically flying like Magneto in X-Files.
1: I mean, X-Men kind (laughs) of,
3: Anyway, Just called it X Files. Yeah,
1: well, that's all right. I didn't. We'll even, edit that out later. Little bit of post post work for Bobby Flood today. Probably not. Okay. Editing Mag, is like, like that. Magneto. Editor yeah, like like Magneto in X Men. To edit
3: this, and and I I used to edit our episodes more, but I I find that we don't really we never really need editing. need to do that anymore, but. Editing is just a form of time travel. See, I can just go and fix it. I can just go
1: fix the problem. Like when I. So, to start off, you weren't fully committed to the rules of magic here.
3: Well, I was just committed to the rules of. Should we do some rules for the podcast? I mean, we kind of have some unwritten rules, right? Do we? Like, come show up Monday at 9 a.m., somewhat prepared. It's Tuesday. Well, we had a holiday. Okay. Monday, 9 a.m., sort of prepared to talk about something or another.
1: Do we, was preparation really a rule ever? Semi. Semi S- rule? It's
3: like being a semi-fascist. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: a semi-rule. What, I, what, what, I, where, where are these people getting their messaging from? The semi-fascists? The, ma- the, ma- the extreme MAGA agenda? They're, Let's let us pause the fun discussion for a minute and rant and rave about current events. What in the hell is going on <laughs> in mainstream press right now? Like, well, I, did I, you see? I'm I mean, speechless the, in, in the, the Biden speech. How how does that even how how is that even acceptable? I guess the Babylon Bee did a thing where they they showed him with a Hitler stash. Did you see that?
3: Yeah, I mean, the Hitler comparisons are are too easy. Well, no, they're but what we have to Clear. understand is that this was real. I sent you a photo, right, and I said of, of the Biden speech, I just said, "This is real, and you're like the what do you real? mean the photo <laughs> Yeah, it's not a f- manipulated image it's because Biden we, is' scr- just got his fists in the air, he's screaming angrily, and the backdrop let me ask
1: is black and red Yeah, let me ask why I, let me let me let me say why I thought my first
0: thought was is this real was because i had been passed a flyer for
1: uh, a wait, drag wait show. for it a drag show at Kiwanis park in provo by byu people which did end up being BYU real byu students which w- it was not a f- not a hoax not babylon b and don't don't let's not even go there Focus on that but just think about this the byu people are hosting a dra- uh, they're well, calling it a family-friendly drag show? It wasn't the BYU. It was Provo. It was Provo City that was allowing but this they to were, happen. But they were advertising it as former BYU. Is,
3: is it or is it I not true? I think it true? was BYU, some former BYU students were involved, but I don't think BYU was not okay, involved. Okay, but
1: is it or is it not true that BYU allowed the Y to be lit up in rainbow colors? Uh, that depends on who you ask. I thought... That you had told me or somebody had they told had a, me that, they, that, that they, happened.
3: The, the, the Y has been lit up in rainbow colors multiple times. And as far as I understand, each time BYU has Claims? said that was unauthorized. Now, they did have an authorized pride parade or pride
1: day or something. That, they don't normally have par- parades like that. Right. So they're authorizing special things for this particular right. segment of society.
3: And I don't know enough about the why, how it's lit. I had heard explanations like people actually hiked up there with the properly colored flashlights and all choreographed. I, 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 that
1: seems highly suspect to me that you could get enough people to do that. Isn't there like a, a box with a, I mean, that's not, they're not using batteries up there. There's a power line.
3: Yeah, they—they I mean they'll light the Y on special occasions, and it's—it's it's clearly controlled from a computer somewhere. You I think mean,
1: a computer, or somebody has to go get up up to a control box? I, I would think by now they have some sort of software involved, because they've clearly up updated it to like color change LEDs. You don't just right.
3: right. You but I just light anyway. it up
0: in rainbow colors on accident, <clears throat> multiple times, on accident. Anyway, carry on.
1: Ah, my mind's blown. What uh, what I was saying is, what what you were saying is that uh, you sent me the text of the Biden picture, and you said, "Yes, it's real," because I had to ask because I was asking people, "Is this flyer real?" Because it right. it says, "It says family friendly drag show," which is a contradiction of terms, isn't it? Yes. I mean when uh, me I tell saw you about a family a family saw, friendly drag show is the movie Some Like It Hot with Tony Curtis, Jack Lemon, and Marilyn Monroe. That's or, a family friendly drag show. Or Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire, also, yes. Very good. Very good.
3: I did see some uh, photos from this family friendly drag show in Provo, and it was definitely not family friendly.
1: Right. These drag shows are sexualized. That's right. like if you if you watch Some Like It Hot, it's all I mean, the sex is part of the underlying com- com- comedic. But there
3: be, the, the a lot sauce. of these a lot of these drag shows that you're hearing about now are essentially there's there's strippers dancing on poles basically. They're that level of A lot
1: of them, isn't that all of them? I mean, I mean, yeah,
3: that's the ones you're hearing about, about nowadays a gay in the news. Pride parade is
1: these yeah, days yeah. is all these people just trying to get more and more degenerate. Um, well, you know, I I gotta admit, I've never been to one. I don't know who else is marching, and definitely the pictures that you see are going to be the most outlandish, right? So, is it possible right. we're getting a fringe view? I've never been to one. Somebody chime in that's been.
3: I think more and more they're they're more of that fringy stuff than not. That's the, that's that's, that's, I that's think what over people the are years over the years I think that that element has encroached over. more and more onto those. Well that
1: would that would be good to know if it's a if it's a mostly this is like the mostly peaceful protests, right? Where the fires are going off <laughs> Fiery, in the background. But That's the question. Peaceful. That's the question. Do we have a mostly family-friendly parade or is it mostly not? And it's right. being reported as mostly family-friendly because I think the drag shows like the one we got the the flyer for is probably not mostly family-friendly. Right, because I, yeah, I well,
3: uh, you want to talk about Sanderson's first law? Let's we talk could, about the first well, law. Well, listen though, the the first law applies to a lot of these current events with the the way that government is solving problems. They're just saying, "Oh, this is going to work because we waved our hands, and it's going to work." Yeah,
1: uh, we just changed the narrative. Uh, immunology everything we learned about immunology for the past 200 years no longer applies it's called the inflation
3: reduction act what do you think it does if it doesn't reduce
1: inflation and there and there's your orwell angle on this you know just right. say it uh, name it the exact opposite well then then right, leading up to
3: biden's speech the the press secretary which is she's a remarkably bad liar she said, you know, if you don't hold the same opinions as the majority of Americans, you're an extremist. And we are the majority of Americans. The majority of Americans believe the president. They're, si- they're supporting the president. And if you don't, you're an extremist. Yeah. That's- and then he gets up in Philadelphia and gives this crazy, like, straight out of V for Vendetta speech. Where he basically he says the same thing. If you don't agree with me, you're an extremist.
1: So, the the, the people who weave the narrative, it seems like they're trying to weave this narrative that it's hopeless. And their rules for magic are that as long as you can convince the public that other people are thinking something, as long as you can convince them that they're in the minority, then your narrative will hold sway and you will, you will win the day. Yeah. They're right. Isn't that kind of what's going on? Because
3: their rule for magic is we say it, therefore it's true. That's their superpower. We, what we say is true. Their superpower is peer pressure. Yeah. Well, they have this, they think they have this ability. They think they have this ability to just wave their hand and say, these are not the droids you're looking for. Right. These are the extremists you're looking for. And they expect us all to go along with it. And the fact is, a lot of us did. All you have to do is go back in time, time travel, and look at photos. Or remember, going to the grocery store and seeing everybody
1: wearing a mask. Yeah, they have a a great magical power here over the minds of the people. Right.
3: And we, get, we give them that power. We let them have that over us. We don't... There was... But see, I, I think
1: that they, they were able to achieve that by following Brandon's first rule, which is that he explained, he says you've got to explain the complexity of the system. They spent many, many years pumping into the public psyche the scare stuff over... Oh yeah. um,
3: well, we believed, we we,
1: we understood that how they were going to solve the conflict. We understood the magic system. Yeah, because they'd done lots of movies about government intervention, right. lots of movies about uh, zombie apocalypses, lots of movies about outbreaks, lots of discussion in pol- political circles, lots of finagling of political procedure and, and public policy, and, of course, changing the definition of pandemic 10 right, years we ago. Were, We
3: were trained to believe that the solution, the magic involved, was the magic of experts and doctors and experience and credentialism. And if we just trusted the science, which we could have just, just, if we just trust the magic, we will be delivered. If you just
1: have enough faith. Yeah.
3: It was all couched and phrased in very religious terms.
1: So these guys are master storytellers. They're master manipulators, isn't that what the author, the storyteller, is doing? Is sure, uh, playing playing you a little bit. You but know, I don't asking I, you to I, suspend I, your, uh, your I disbelief.
3: Wouldn't, I wouldn't call them master storytellers because the great stories don't gaslight you into loving
1: them. So they're they're expert storytellers. They're very good at <clears throat> they're they're expert narrative manipulators. Because yeah, the, ma- you want to give a, a master credit for being a good, like having well, I've said good this, intentions. Like
3: I said before, the the pandemic was a masterpiece. They it was brilliant the way that they, whoever they are, rolled it out the way they got the public. I mean, remember from basically like early March of 2020 up until the George Floyd incident, the media talked about nothing but COVID. N- It was 24 hours a day, death, destruction, demise for months, 24-7. You turn on any news program, COVID, 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 pictures of people dying everywhere, overwhelmed hospitals. Do this, do this, stay home, stay home, stay home. Don't do that, don't do that. Get your mask, get your mask. And then the George Floyd kind of, it was time for the narrative to get chapter two or whatever. It was brilliant. Now, I don't think it was good storytelling. It was just pounding you over the head with a sledgehammer. I think that's where these guys are, are great at. Just They're just relentless. Repetition. They're relentlessly. Imagine just like a, a, a guy with a sledgehammer just hitting the same rock over and over, and the rock never breaks, so he's just pounding it over and over. That's how the news and the government and these powers that be tell their story. They just jam it over your jam it down your throat
1: what's interesting about breaking rocks with a sledgehammer is that you know in some cases you'll get little chips that come off but what'll happen is you hit it many times and then finally it just the whole thing disintegrates
3: right and that's maybe what we're living through
2: now <laughs> is,
3: I mean I we we've both kind of had our black pill doomsday moments and and it's hard not to think that we're in that part of the story where everything looks really bad. And you, this is the point in the, in the narrative where the magic is used to solve the conflict. I'm just wondering who... Who knows
1: the magic? Who, who has the magic? Who's, who's been spending the time to understand how to rebuild society? Who's been working towards that end? Who's been... Who's been working to try to
3: change the well, system? There, there's a lot of people. There there's millions of people in the United States, I think, who are ready to to do something like that in their spheres of influence, but they've been silenced. We've learned recently too it, it, that the the intelligence communities, the Department of Justice, the Biden administration, even the White House has colluded with social media companies to Squash dissent, basically, to to limit what we're allowed to say and what we're allowed to read. So, when and guy, not just with the Hunter
0: Biden story, but with COVID too. Right when when a guy like uh, Mark Zuckerberg goes on Rogan and admits that the FBI influenced
1: their systems during the election. That's. I just want to point out that 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 is brazen. That that brazen admission is uh, it's it's not a casual thing. That guy that guy is not going to say stuff like that without. I mean, you you're, the guy's ultra wealthy, and those people don't um, make misstatements like. Well, that. Well, he's a creation of the deep state. He he prepared for the Rogan interview. He prepared about. He went over right. what he should say, shouldn't say. I mean, he could. He could r- massively damage his financial position by just the, the crazy thing is speaking off the handle, speaking off the cuff.
3: He went on the world's most popular podcast, said these things, and nobody, nobody cares. cares. No, I mean nobody in the corporate media because well, they're it just all comes on the and same goes. Side. It, like a, a statement like that should spread throughout society, you know, organically, you know people texting it to one another.
1: you got to check out this clip. Look at this. And everybody should be outraged. My, my point is that that's the tip of the iceberg. If that's what they're willing to admit on right. Rogan, that means that the FBI is integrally involved or the, or the White House or whatever yeah, the yeah. powers that be are in, integrally involved in all aspects of the propaganda Everything machine. you see on the corporate news.
2: Uh, one, should,
3: ag- one example, Biden... So the press secretary starts laying the seeds, right? Uh, ever since Biden... Biden's inaugural speech, he talked about domestic extremists and basically said, if you're not with me, you're against me. If you're not with me, you're a terrorist. This, is a, this has been a big theme of his, of his uh, presidency. <clears throat> I mean, it's a, one of the reasons January 6th was staged, right? That was a big trap. We've talked a lot about that. So they could have this narrative. Well, they're ramping it up. They're ramping it up leading up to the midterms, I think. And something really bad could be you know, some false flag, some staged thing. They tried that with the Whit- Whitmer kidnapping. That was just an FBI plot where they got some idiots to go along with it. <clears throat> but right after Biden's speech, you had people in the media saying things like, it's time for mass arrests. A writer for The Washington Post called Jennifer Rubin posted that and then quickly deleted it, but people screenshotted it, and this was on Twitter. And I, she's saying something like, Biden's speech captures the moment of the the times, time for mass arrests. And it's like, well, who? Who would you mass arrest? hmm Just anybody? You go through the voting records? I mean, there's a reason why we have a blind ballot box. Mm-hmm. Because who I vote for, who you vote for, is none of your damn business. It's no none of anybody's business. It's probably why it's easy to manipulate elections too. But there you go. Only extremists say that. But the media immediately jumped on, right? They're pounding this idea of domestic threats and how the MAGA Republicans, whatever that means, are a threat to democracy. They want to take the country backwards. They. I mean, it's silly. Like The, 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 the rhetoric and the, that Biden used in that speech is just nonsense. But here you have the sitting president of the United States standing up with a red,
1: deliberately red background, right? It was a nighttime speech. They used lights. Well, they lit up part of the building in blue. It was supposed to be red and blue. <laughs> yeah. It looks a little French
3: right behind him is red and it's very dark it's red but also it's like really shadowy so it's well it, look it i'm looks, with you i think and then, it, i and think it's then, very intentional and then he has marines behind him it has all the trappings of a, a of a militaristic dictator like set piece from a well it, people were comparing it to the big speech in V for vendetta and it's very similar <laughs> yeah.
1: oh no doubt no doubt i i don't disagree at all it's just there there are always going to be people who are going to say, well, that's not... I don't care you know, what, about idiots. do here that, They're not very smart. We blah, have to blah, blah, do here, zoom out and say, what is really, like you said, what is really going on here? Yeah, that's why I think the pattern that you're establishing is that they, they have been setting up this narrative for a long time. When you've got uh, them calling Trump supporters semi-fascist and then you've got the comments from the White House press secretary saying, well, if you're not... With the majority, you're in an extreme minority, right? It's like that that is that is an amazing shift in American political philosophy. The idea in America has always been that we protect the rights of the minority democracies right. as Madison but now if have ever been turbulent suicide uh experiments. That's right. The, the founding fathers did not like democracies. And we they've spent a, many, many decades trying to explain that we're a democracy when we're actually technically a republic. But right. we be- in actual fact, we'd, we'd behave like a de facto democracy, which is mob rule, majority rule, two wolves and one sheep voting on what's for dinner. So now right. you see when they say, well, if you're not with the majority, then you're, you're an extremist or whatever. What, what, what did she say specifically? Uh, let me try to find the exact if, quote. If, if your opinion is not in line with the majority, majority then you're bad is essentially what she's saying that's that is evil evil well it's also just false
3: here here when you are this is a direct quote from whatever her name is her hairstyle i'm probably going to be called a racist for this remember the mcdonald's fry guys mcdonald's had all the mascots like hamburglar and grimace whatever he was they had the fry guys yeah i'm <laughs> this, looking them up this press secretary's hair reminds me of that. Oh, yeah. They're like a big uh, <clears throat> ball of hair. But uh, she says, when you are not with what majority of Americans are, then you know that is extreme. That is an extreme way of thinking. She, does, she says this without defining what the majority of Americans are. I mean, I think the majority of Americans, I think the vast majority of Americans...
1: They're opposed to that.
3: ...agree on fundamental things. I think the vast majority of Americans want opportunities to thrive, to raise their families, and to be left alone and just do their thing. Go to work, go on vacation, go to their kids' Little League games. And we can have, there's a lot of room for discussion and debate and disagreement. That's part of living with other people and compromises. But there's not even, but Coming from the media and the government, there's no room for compromise anymore. It's you need to agree and do what we say or else we are going to kill you. And right after Biden's speech, I mentioned Jennifer Rubin saying there needs to be mass arrests. You also have, and this is interesting to me, you have, I think it was an MSNBC panel saying, we are not heading towards civil war. Civil war has already begun. And they're starting to sound like like Jordan Bruno here. Hmm. Calling basically calling for. Or, well, I'm not or calling saying, for civil war. Right, they are basically saying like,
1: we need to have a civil war in this country. I, I I've only well I've said never give never give up your guns. Never give up your guns, guys. You're you're going to potentially need them to defend your home and your family. Never give up your guns.
3: And Biden even floated this idea again recently, and it's a familiar talking point for him, which. It's bizarre, but he's like, if you want to fight the government, you're going to need F-15s. I know, he brings that up every once in a while. We it's have like, the nukes, we have the F-15s. It's like, so are you threatening to nuke your own population? Because that's what it sounds like you're doing.
1: It's bizarre. Well, and it's like uh, Liz Cheney who comes out and blames her voters for not voting for her. Yeah. Basically so calls them all idiots. What, old, is, what did she call them all? Something like that. Funny, she had her little
3: moment. Bigots. She had her little moment there after she lost. She went on a little media tour to call everybody stupid bigots, and then now she's she's, gone. She's crunched up by the machine.
2: Hmm.
0: Well, the magic systems that the powers that be are using aren't working.
3: They aren't. they, They aren't working well enough. I think that's one of the reasons that they tote Biden out there to
1: give well, this bizarre speech everything is a lie when uh, when this press secretary lady says uh what she says about
0: being with the majority she's what she's trying to do is she's she's pitching Again, the idea
1: that what they say is the majority view, which it's not. That's right. I think we both agree. That's, what we say is true because we say it is and true. true. And, and, and you have to go with it because we're the majority. None of that's even true. None of it. You don't have to go with it, and what they're saying is not true, and they're not the majority. It's all a lie. All of she, it. She also says we're living through the greatest
3: economy in American history. Right. Exhibit A. Exhibit A1. <laughs> but this speech i had i haven't watched or read the entire thing i didn't really feel it it was need a too. pretty short it was a pretty
1: short speech
3: but it it's basically the it it, it reads like it, like the rantings of a of a far you know left blogger or something and it's probably who wrote it right some former daily Cost writer or something like that or you know or possibly yeah it's juvenile. It's vague. It's just if it basically just says if you don't like me, you're a terrorist. And I'm going to scream this speech in front of a red backdrop with the military behind me.
1: What what was interesting about it is that Biden didn't have the energy that he's had in the past when yelling angry things. He's he really is losing steam. And so even though they probably had to pump him full of all kinds of drugs to get him to do that, he did. He didn't really have that much energy. It was like grandpa shaking his fists. It wasn't Hitler. Hitler. If no, you've it was seen, like. It was old man shaking it, his fist if at you've the cloud. Seen, yeah. If you've seen Hitler's speeches, man, he gets pretty violent. Yeah, but Hitler was also much younger when I, I he know rose to power. Right. But, but I don't but like Biden. The- it it was lackluster. Like the- it, it really. You got to wonder that they they so carefully crafted crafted all the optics for that they un- they didn't do it unintentionally they they knew what this is going to look like and then what's interesting is CNN tries to color change it like CNN's backing off like they're not getting the full story like oh no this is what we're doing today right but they they, they carefully craft all that but they know what they've got in Biden they know how impotent that all looks
3: but they also know that they can make him say anything they want and so this whole idea that you know Half the voting population of the country are domestic terrorists who want to take the country backwards. You know, whatever that whatever that means uh, is just it's just absurd. It's it's ridiculous on its face, and yet that's the that's the hill that these guys are going to climb into the midterms and beyond. If we even have midterms, I remember my theory from the spring that we're going to have elections suspended and
1: martial law, I still believe something insane like that could happen. So uh, we mentioned a guy, Martin Armstrong, uh, com. He thinks that they're going to get, grant citizenship to the illegals via executive order. He thinks that's a good possibility.
3: That's been floated. And that, that, that idea. That will,
1: that, that will influence the election.
3: Or they just let him vote. Just, just let non-citizens vote.
1: I mean, they probably do it already. I'm not sure what, how, uh, what that achieves with their narrative. Because like, everything has but to... see, everything that they do that's publicly admitted or put out there has to work for the narrative. That it's, it's very important because that's how they control is via the narrative. I don't think they really care about elections
3: anymore. Elections are, are kind of used as a way for us to feel involved.
1: Yeah, and is that what you're saying is that we don't they don't need that anymore for their narrative? The narrative now is that we're past elections.
3: It could be, especially if there's something that happens between now and the midterm elections, which is the first week of November. They could foil a plot from some MAGA Republicans that we're going to blow up the White House or, or or a few ballot boxes. Something. Or something real, you know, something could really happen like a 9/11 and then in the wake of that they say, we can't have elections in this, in this environment. It's not safe. It wouldn't be fair. You need to stay home and stay safe because we're in a shelter-in-place red alert. Your neighbors, your neighbor with that Trump flag is plotting against the American government. And you need to probably snitch on him.
2: That's
1: so brazen. I mean, I, well, my I, gut's telling me- look at, look at the last two years, though. Yeah, but they're going to have to round up half of the country.
3: I don't think they're going to round anybody up, but they could easily stage a false flag type thing, put the country in lockdown. Because again, the precedent is set, right? We can be thrown into lockdown now for whatever. And people who don't comply, then you roll in there. So You the roll purpose, the tanks into the, the, the society. You're not, you're not going into shelter-in-place lockdowns for this domestic terrorist threat.
1: So,
2: what you're saying Therefore, is. Therefore, you're a domestic terrorist.
1: They don't care about rounding everybody up. They just care about controlling the government and the money system. And, and as long as they can maintain that power, you can rant and rave all you want. We're, we're going to protect ourselves because you're not getting back control of the Justice Department, nor can you clean out the deep state. It, it doesn't matter. We're a third. We're a banana republic, third world. That's what they. That, they're just going to perpetuate the third world. Yeah, and they'll They'll, round, and they'll round up a few up. people. Like let's keep in mind, they'll go after the Alex Jones of, of the world. And, let's,
3: let's keep in mind that right now, today, on September sixth, two thousand twenty-two, there are people. There are political prisoners in Washington D.C. Americans are being held in Washington D.C. in horrific conditions. And are not being given any due process because they wandered into the Capitol building on January sixth. Some people weren't even there, <clears throat> right? And they're being tried and or, or uh, charged with things that are absurd based on old laws that have never been enforced. So the the precedent for all of this is set. Like l- let's keep let's remember they. Put us all under house arrest for a long time, just a couple of years ago. And they
1: got away with it.
3: They got away with it. They made us wear masks. They closed down everything. And we had to comply. They even came out and said, multiple government leaders, from governors to prime ministers to whoever, multiple times said, You can have your rights back if you comply. Hillary Clinton said that. Like Spencer Cox. Justin Trudeau, all of these idiots, basically came out and said multiple times, you want your rights back? Then follow the government. You want the temples open again? They'll open when the government says they can open. Even religious leaders were saying this kind of thing. The precedent is set. That's, that's the, the thing that we need to be alarmed about. And that's why we can, we can never allow it to happen again. Because they did it and they got away with it. There's not been a single person held responsible for anything, any of the death and destruction that the lockdowns and the closures have caused. A lot of the school now, it's fall school, some some areas in the country are only now going back to full-time regular school.
1: After two years.
3: And they're reporting that the learning loss is massive. And especially among poorer neighborhoods, poor kids. The learning loss is massive and it's like they say their educators are baffled by it. It's like, what are you talking? (laughs) We all, so many people said this is going to lead to massive harm.
1: Right, and as usual, the kids get hurt the worst.
3: Yeah, well, because we're living through the greatest child sacrifice in human history. Right. Well, I'm starting to shake my fist at the sky like Joe Biden and we're
0: gonna Beat the MAGA!
1: Well, they definitely give uh, a lot of time and attention to setting up the details of the narrative and giving people any... any. Uh, they give all kinds of backstory and context to what's about to happen next, and they, they've made it so that you're essentially... You're not forced to, but people are who are watching social media or the cable news networks or whatever, they're getting the narrative. They're they're the men on the towers that uh, Amalekiah placed there to shout uh, vitriol against the Mephites. The Magas are coming. The Magas. Yeah. But I, I, just, I don't think
3: anybody... I don't think your normal average American buys into this stuff. I don't think your yeah, normal average watching? American is even tuning into these well, I speeches. Think, I
1: think... Yeah, I, I don't. I think they're seeing the sound bites. Right. That's they're seeing, oh Biden said this. You, so you but, see a little bit of a meme, you see a, a ten second video on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever, and there's a headline that tells you what to think about the totality right. of it. So that's why Biden's speech didn't have to be very long.
3: But do you think do you really think that just your average like Democrat voter? Here's Biden say something like, the MAGA Republicans are domestic terrorists and a threat to our soul of the nation, a threat to a democracy. Do you think they really buy into that? If, if Trump three years ago had said, the Obama Democrats are a threat to the soul of America and they're plotting domestic terror, terrorists of terrorism, and they want to overthrow the government, would people have Believe that? Would your Trump supporters have believed that?
1: Isn't that kind of though what he said without saying it that way?
3: Maybe. I mean, maybe the answer is yeah, absolutely. People would buy into that.
1: Maybe. Maybe we're just. Isn't that how you're supposed to look at it? If your Republican is like, "Hey, they're these Democrats really are trying to destroy the country now." For all (laughs) intents and purposes, it looks like they are. Well, it's not just.
3: (laughs) I think that's one of the things we have to remember. They happen to be the ones in
1: power. But let's, let's remember, before, before uh, Obama was Bush, who, who, which people presided over the destruction of the free market with all the TARP stuff? Right. Who were the people who wrote the Patriot Act? Who were the people that uh, you know, really they, ripped, ripped a lot of were, freedoms right out of our grasp when we were coming into sort of a golden age after the Soviet Union had fallen?
3: The Republicans in power now all disavow Trump, right? And uh, Not all well the the key ones in yeah washington the the rhinos, the the influential the statist right you know, and they're not doing anything they're not doing anything to slow down any of this because it's they're all on the same team they're all it's the state, right Well, like we say, just you just hold on and ride the tiger as long as you
1: can.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: There's there's uh more to come. I think we're about to see the next leg down the the ne- the next shoe drop. The other shoe will drop here pretty soon, I believe. That phrase has always kind of puzzled me cuz you only have two shoes.
3: There's a lot of shoe dropping. <laughs> we'll yeah, I have to look up the origins of that phrase. But I think you're right. I think We're kind of summer break vacations over, people are back in school, labor days behind us. We're going into that prime season for we're going
1: into false flag season. Yeah, it's technically waiting for the other shoe to drop, you're awaiting a seemingly inevitable event. But why a shoe drop? Shoe drop, no one drops shoes. Like, what does it come from? Cinderella?
3: (laughs) <laughs> like I don't, I've never looked up that phrase or bothered to, to figure out
0: the origins of it. Well, a quick Google search says this. Let's see. This is from com. Uh...
2: waiting for the other shoe to drop It's number 16 on their
1: list uh in the tenements of new york city in the late 19th and early 20th century apartments were built with bedrooms on top of one another it was common to hear your upstairs neighbor take off a shoe drop it and then repeat the action and it became shorthand for waiting for something that you knew was coming there you go bobby flood you now know the origin and as chief pronunciator, I think that's important. <laughs> wow. Okay. I was worth. It was worth <clears throat> taking the time. And that's one thing we do on this podcast: is we take the time. <laughs> we do take the
3: time. Uh, whether whether you uh, feel like we are robbing you of your time or not is entirely subjective.
1: I really enjoyed the discussion earlier about all of the. Uh, the complexity of designing a good story and and magical
0: systems. <clears throat> well, I think and it's I it's applicable
3: fun. to what's happening because we, like you said, we are being manipulated by, by master tellers. Let's just say that. They're telling us what we should believe, what we should do, what we should think. The story right now, the story being told is that... They and they alone can save the world from this, these various threats, whether it's Republicans or MAGA or COVID or monkeypox or whatever. By the way, Zelensky virtually rang the bell at the New York Stock Exchange today. Virtually?
2: <laughs> virtually. <laughs> uh,
3: that, talk about a story. I, I saw a, a story. Non-story. There's a Ukrainian man who allegedly. Shot down a, a Russian fighter jet with his old makeshift beat-up rifle. Yeah? Just shot it out of the air with... <laughs> okay. Come on. Good. Do you <laughs> well, Have you ever tried to shoot anything out of the air with a rifle? Not a shotgun, a rifle? Well, the
1: distances are deceptive. The distances are deceptive. I mean... Those the planes are moving. Well, yeah, but also it's a long way away. Right. The effective range of say like a 308 Winchester is about 600 yards. I think. I think they well, gave him like a the metal. That's like lethal range. Oh, they gave him a medal. They
3: gave him a medal for
1: shooting this plane out of the sky with his rifle. Okay, so I I, I might have just got that wrong. Did I say 300 yards? 600 yards roughly is a good lethal range for a. a a three hundred Winchester. If you can kill something at about a thousand yards, that's a pretty dang good shot. Now, the, bu- the the issue is that the bullet drops a lot. It starts to lose energy. It still has momentum. You could you could essentially kill something. But if you're trying to shoot at something a mile away, you've got to lob that like like a guy with an old hunting rifle at a at an airplane that's a mile away in the sky. He's gonna or a half a mile. He's gonna have to lob it. Could it could be
3: fifteen the, feet away, and he's gonna most likely miss it.
1: Well, he'd hit it, he wouldn't hit anything and vital. Even if he hit it, you're not going to
3: shoot a plane out of the sky with a single bullet from a rifle unless you hit the self-destruct button. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> they all have really <laughs> big on on the bottom. But anyway, it's just another one of these things that were these
1: absurdities yeah. that we're supposed to believe. Well, I I think one one thing we've emphasized here and I'll and I'll just make it perfectly plain is that the narrative matters. It's Excruci- it always does. It's excruciatingly important that there be a narrative that the public is consuming. The narrative is critical to moving the masses. And I, I saw a little bit of a discussion over the weekend about mass formation psychosis. Remember we talked about that? Mm-hmm. And they 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 brought up a nuance that I hadn't understood, which makes, makes the whole discussion a little bit different. Uh, Dr. Malone, I guess, is working from the position that the public has developed a psychosis sort of we, we came to this conclusion the virus comes out and then we all scare ourselves into this psychosis requiring the vaccines or whatever and so the idea of a mass formation psychosis which i didn't understand and we gave this a little bit of attention several months ago so i want to point it out the idea is that it's sort of the fault of the public and the discussion that i saw talking about the mass formation psychosis problem is that this is a narrative that is being foisted upon us it's not the public coming to a mass psychosis forming it simultaneously this is a very intentional outcome caused by evil people that's the point that's why the mass formation psychosis idea is a little bit of a red herring so I think that's an important point. I, and I think that I, I had never thought of uh, Dr. Malone's comments in that context when he, when he went on Rogan. And and so when you see like Zuckerberg go on Rogan and say, well, yeah, we want to help out the FBI. So, you know, that's, that's all a uh, purposeful narrative. That's all intended to create something in your mind that may or may not be true. And if we were to follow the rules of the mind virus podcast here, one of the rules is never believe anything coming out of the leftist corporate or statist media, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's all cooked. It's all either wrong or spun. (laughs) It's some sort of appearance of truth that's been spun. But the purpose of it all is, uh, to achieve the goals and the ends of this oligarchy. And so, they may want you to believe something so they can get you to do something, but they also are involved in what we would call agit-prop or agitation propaganda, which is just, just to agitate you. Well, that's Biden's right? speech. It's just to agitate people. Because agitated people are more likely to, to take knee-jerk action, right? Right. They're going to do something when you get them to do it. When you, when you finally introduce the trigger point, then they'll do it. Well, we'll see what these trigger points are. Well, keep there, your
3: head keep your head on a swivel over the next yeah, several it's clearly,
1: weeks. It's clearly being foisted upon us. And as I alluded to last time in the episode on uh what did we call that? Nothing special. Nothing special. That's right. <laughs> Somebody asked me what we talked about. They were like, Why haven't you posted the podcast yet? Why haven't you posted it? We we have listeners out there that really want to hear this. I got like a I got a threatening email or a text from a listener that knows me. They're like, where is the freaking podcast? Well, we
3: had a little, uh, I had a problem with my email. Talk about time travel. Yeah. My computer that I do this stuff on stopped progressing the date. And so I sent it off to Jordan and the computer, and therefore the email program thought it was like, several weeks ago and so the
1: email was buried right it was way up on my list I thought it was you know days old yeah it's weird I I, uh, I didn't see it come in I don't I don't know how that happened
3: I restarted the computer and the date updated itself oh, that's nice and uh but uh it was bizarre like I was it's like the computer was trapped in a time-space continuum where it was permanently
1: August 20th or something yeah i'm not sure how much we should advertise this podcast because it's so good apparently that these listeners are getting out the pitchforks and torches if we don't like <laughs> get it get it up on tuesday by a certain point in time and so i was a little worried uh, for a little while except then i realized this friend lives out of state so they'd have to like drive many hours to come and yeah get me to put the podcast you know, they up they
3: could just swat you Oh, well, that's right I've just given him a terrible idea, haven't
1: yeah. I? You better edit that out. He could just swat the flies <laughs> or something. But yeah, so so we have people that care about us getting this podcast out. It's important. And the reason that was named Nothing Special was because they asked, well, when's it coming out? What's it about? And I'm like, I don't know. Bobby's, Bobby's going to get it to me eventually. We already had many hours previously. <laughs> well, what's it about? Oh, well, nothing special. So that's, that's why we titled it <laughs> Nothing Special. And, uh, of course, in that episode, we were talking about the Breakaway Society and the UFOs. And so I'm, I'm more and more, I, I was alluding to the idea that I am more and more inclined to think that there are big, you know, we've joked about alien invasion. We've joked about that. Uh, we we posted a link to the Corona Circus's journal from the future, which was really interesting. Right. Where in that, it sort of ends with a Maitreya, Antichrist type of a, a religious figure. They bring the world together to to worship a a savior type of a figure, and I I think that we could literally be heading for that type of a suddenly out of this gradually. Uh, this this time period of gradually, we could be heading for something on that level,
0: and not be able to fathom the the possibility
1: because we just don't understand how advanced their and how intentional their narrative is, their messaging, and how how uh, significant the technology is. And so let's throw that out there right here at the end of the podcast. It's something that is unfathom, unfathom, it's hard to fathom, as uh, Megamind says.
3: Well, like I often say, what a time to be alive. (laughs) (laughs) we got to try to take things as they are and maintain a a positive outlook as best you can and, uh, you know, eat meat, lift weights, shoot guns or whatever your equivalent to that is but prepare yourself prepare your heart and your mind prepare your family and uh
0: what a time to be alive yeah any last words for the week
1: uh no i my last words are i want to talk more about these esoteric symbolic Stories I you know listeners chime in let us know if that's what you want us to do or you like the current events stuff because Harry Potter would be fun. I think that is that is really interesting. The Daily Prophet the propaganda newspaper in Harry Potter is so germane to today's world. Uh, The Daily Prophet I mean how (laughs) how and, and the Dolores Umbridge character right. Yeah I mean.
3: But well, then just the, We're living the, uh, in this. But then the whole idea that there's this secret society that is trying to manipulate an unknowing public because the muggle society is also being manipulated and victimized by the the death eaters.
1: Right, but but the wizards are, and, and the wizards are oblivious to it. Right, a lot of and them. They are. and they uh, they act like everything's normal when the Dark Lord has already returned and taken over the Ministry of Magic. Is that analogous to modern day? Is that analogous to what's going on right now? You have because <laughs> you have because there's a point where the Minister of Magic is unwilling to recognize the threat, and that guy gets killed or or deposed and then they install someone that is openly on the side of evil right so where are we in that process yes okay <laughs> i i think we should do do more of that and i definitely think we need to get into this multiverse i, I want to explore more your thoughts on the timelines and that relates directly to some commentary from avengers endgame on multiple timelines right and where the marvel universe went with it i have my theory as to what the multiverse really is i don't think i you know i i I know that we are caught in time and that when we exit this sphere and get back into the real world that we will view time differently that's one thing that is very clear from all of the material that i've studied and my gut inclination right the 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 experiences that i've had seem to point to that idea there's a passage in doctrine and covenants talking about god where he exists is like a sea of glass and all things are before him past present and future right so we don't we don't understand what it's like to be outside of the time space that we're in and yet still progressing right mm-hmm. still moving forward in in your pursuit pursuit of godliness so so there's a nuance there that I think we just don't fathom and uh, it doesn't mean that everybody is already god and simultaneously not but th- there there is progression and there is loyalty and there's disloyalty and stuff like that so that that's that's something that has to be factored into it but uh I think exploring those ideas of timelines and the multiverse and you know time travel or all all those other things is really interesting and the Doctor Strange movie it's the multiverse of madness. It's, got, it's chock full, chock full of stuff. I know, I need to watch they're it. they're trying to tell us. And, ju- and, and it can be juxtaposed <clears throat> against the Harry Potter universe because, again, Harry Potter was all written before, or r- roughly before. When, when did the book, uh, what was the last book, The Deathly Hallows? I think the series was like 97 to 05 or something like that. Let's see, The Deathly Hallows was published July 2007. So, okay, so my contention here, my assertion, I'm asserting something here, is that although there are some people that disagree, the age of Pisces, we're going to officially call it ended as of 2012. Okay, we are. Now, okay. it, it, if you get into astronomical observation, you want to go watch the, the constellations on the night of the vernal equinox, so the spring equinox. Maybe you would argue that we're still in, still in Pisces, but remember, most of Pisces has disappeared. There are some people that would say we still have a couple hundred years left of Pisces. It's, it's all... If you're talking about cosmic energies, it's all the point of the observer matters a lot, right? Okay, it, it's not like the textbook matters. It's what you see in the sky that matters, right? Okay, is, am, I ma- am I making sense? Because the sky is the only thing that the humans can't fiddle with, or can they? <laughs> with the Starlink satellites up there. <laughs> right. So anyway, the constellations have been there since time immemorial. They tell the story that can't be changed. So the question is, when do we really switch from Pisces from Pisces to Aquarius? And I'm going to say that I think that the age of Pisces ends 2012 because that's roughly where a lot of the ancient societies see it ending. There are also some indications that there's a window between you know the 1970s and 2030, 2040. So whatever it is, we're in it. We're not. It's not. I think it's happening, and it's not something that will uh, extend into. F- future generations i think the people living today and this is said in the scriptures from time to time this is just me thinking speculating okay not a prophecy just saying there are people in this generation this literally alive today that are going to see some of the most amazing events in the history of this world well the harry potter narrative is sort of the pinnacle of storytelling for the for the previous age, and I think you see, what you see is a lot of those who would like to own the new age that would like to take because they know this is a time where there's where there's a lot of shifting energy
0: shift uh, shifting possibilities, a time of change and tumult con, uh, convulsion. Change, uh, you already used the word change
1: things happening here on the earth that that always happens at the change over an age of an age, and so I think there are people who are not necessarily on the good side who think they can take advantage of that, uh, inevitability and change it to their own advantage. And they have at the same time, right after Harry Potter comes out, and it's uh, Harry, you, you remember the Harry Potter craze, it was a huge mm-hmm. craze, right? It was definitely the most popular story in the world at the time and then it has become displaced by the marvel universe which is an inversion and we haven't spent a lot of time talking about specifically about the marvel universe and its inverted nature but i think that's significant that those two stories bookend they they don't bookend they they run right up against each other chronologically. Right. And we, we see this in, in, intentional inversion. And, uh, in Harry Potter, you see an incredible story. There's, there's a lot of people out there that are Protestant or, you know, well-meaning Mormons or whatever that want to say Harry Potter is about witchcraft, witchcraft and wizardry and it's evil. It's dark guys. Stop being right. literalists. But, it's you such never, an amazing story. you also story. never
3: saw those same groups of people, uh, opposing the Avengers.
1: Right cuz anyway go ahead you got you got something you're going to say i i think we should I, all i'm saying is we should talk about that stuff long intro
3: Anyway, that's Radioactive by Imagine Dragons where they sing. Welcome to the apocalypse. Welcome to the new age. To the new age. Welcome to the new age. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's clear down the song and well, I just sing it as good as they do. So,
1: Welcome to the new age. Please <clears throat> check your sanity and reality at the door. <laughs> Keep your hands and feet inside the ride at all times. Eat the cricket flour, be fat, Use the, be ce- Use the central bank digital currency at all times. Be depressed. Change your gender <laughs> or, or change your species. <laughs> I, I heard literally they're talking about in some schools, they ha- actually have litter boxes.
3: Yeah, I've heard that for kids who identify as cats. I
1: heard this from a teacher up north from us. Yeah. That it's actually happening. That they yeah, already have them in schools in Utah. We're spiraling. Warning, we're warning, sp- danger, we're Will Robinson.
3: Spiraling out of control in, in certain, like in certain ways. Like, like, yes. There's the, the macro, like the big picture economy and all of that. But then you have all of this, this, these psychological warfare that is killing the minds of a lot of young people. It's, I saw one the other day where this girl lives her life like as if she's a wolf.
1: I mean, if that's true, that there are litter boxes in Salt Lake area schools, just consider the depravity of that. I
3: mean, did they actually have the kids use them?
1: I think that's the whole point. Are they
3: in the bathrooms? I don't know. Or they're just in the corner of the classroom and some kid goes over there and, and, and drops his trousers. That's what I'm saying. Just think and-
1: of the depravity. Where, what do you put it, one in the girls' bathroom or the boys' bathroom? Do you even have girls' and boys' bathrooms anymore? What Right. What is going on? But
3: then a normal kid walks into the bathroom and there's just a litter box with poop in it?
0: Like
1: <laughs> It's depravity.
3: You've got to stop. We have to stop, people. You cannot, you cannot continue to... Uh,
1: to feed this beast well
3: welcome
2: uh, to the new we, age we had a
1: okay so another thing I heard over the weekend one, one of the people I talked to said they were in sacrament meeting and someone was bearing their testimony in their ward who had just moved from California and they had moved because their their stake president got up and said you either have to homeschool your kids or you need to move out of California it's that bad. So like the church who we've been concerned about here on the program is there, there are people that are literally seeing that happen, th- that it's getting that bad in California that they're telling them to move, U- move to Utah. And here, what I'm saying is that it is that bad in Utah. Right. If your kids are in the public schools, you better pay close attention because what they're getting in Utah <laughs> is quickly sliding off of that, uh, Right, slippery slope away from, especially reality. if you're in away from good society,
3: especially in Salt Lake or Park City. I think that's. But, yeah, but this is But, a, but this wasn't but like Park City. C- I know, th- but it's this not. Was it's Salt not Salt Lake Valley. It's not far behind. Yeah, the rest of the the state is not far behind. The, this state is becoming. Um, uh, it'll be a. It'll be overrun within a decade or so by a
1: statist. Okay, but... If it's not already. what wh- I wonder, you know, I wonder about needing to move out of the state because you have... Look at the people that run this state. Oh, I do. I know you do. Let us let us not name them. Those who shall not be named today, <laughs> at least just for today, let's not name them.
3: Uh, at least he who shall not be named in Harry Potter Oh my was, gosh. At least he was interesting. Our overlords are stupid and not even fun to learn about are just idiots, just evil idiots. Yeah, it's
1: death by agitation, death by vom- uh, vomitousness.
3: <laughs> All right, we better wrap this okay, up. Okay, okay, okay. So that, those were my last words. That's, good, good last words. My last words are take care, everybody, and we'll see you again. Yep, have a great week. <laughs>